0: I love singing with all of you, and I love singing those words about the truth of who God is and who Jesus is. And that's something that we're going to be exploring this morning, that really over the last few weeks, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of the songs carry this phrase, King Jesus. And as we've studied through 2 Kings, I've noticed a couple things. This this is what always happens to me when I read through that book. It's like you see evil king after evil king after evil king. And then you get one of these kings that says, like, he was good some of the time. Yeah, some of the time. (laughs) And once in a while you get a king where it says he actually sought the Lord. And every time I read that, I start to feel like, finally, this is the hero we've been waiting for. This is the king that we need. But every time as you go through it, you discover that even the good kings are still only human. Even the good kings have failures, and every single one of them died and is dead. And so just when you have this feeling of like, man, I I really thought that was the guy, you realize that part of the narrative that's weaving all the way through this is that we are still waiting. right? If you put your mind back in 2 Kings, they're still waiting for the ultimate hero. They're still waiting for the king of kings. The one who actually will fix everything. The one who makes no mistakes, has no failures. The one they call Messiah. And so if you fast forward about 900 years, almost 900 years from the time of Second Kings that we're in right now, you get to this really amazing day where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on what we know as Palm Sunday. Now there's a lot going on in that week, because for them it is like a holy week. In fact, the entire week is considered the Passover celebration, because Palm Sunday would be the day that they would choose the lamb who would be sacrificed for the Passover. But as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that day, he rode in on a donkey, which was a symbol of a king coming in peace. And when the people saw him, if you remember what they did, it says that they laid their cloaks and they laid palm branches in front of him. Now that seems kind of random. I mean, I guess my cloak is something I have with me and maybe there are palm branches nearby. But actually, just like the donkey was a symbol of peace, these were symbols as well. Because the cloak was a sign of royalty that I would lay down something of mine for you. But the palm branches were actually a symbol of victory. In fact, especially in Judea, not everywhere, but in Judea, this was a sign of victory because it meant that things were peaceful, things were healthy, things were good. You could plant and you could harvest and there were palm trees and figs and it was a time where the king had brought victory to the people. In fact, the Romans actually used this to mock Judea because in 70 A.D., Jerusalem was destroyed by Rome and one year later, they minted this coin. And on the back of the coin, you can see a palm tree with the palm branches as a symbol of victory for Rome. And it actually reads, Judea conquered. And so when they were laying these palm branches in front of Jesus, they were recognizing this man riding the donkey is the king. They were recognizing when they put their coats down, when when they laid those palm branches, they said, and we want him to bring us victory. They even sang prophecies to him about the king of kings, about the Messiah, about the hero that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. They sang to King Jesus. And so today is Palm Sunday on our calendar because of that moment. And yet you and I know there's more to that story, right? The victory Jesus was planning to bring was different than the victory that they were picturing. And by the end of the week, instead of Hosanna, they were shouting, crucify him. And the only crown he would wear that week was a crown of thorns. But remember I said there was a lot going on that week. Because from that day, the day where they would select the lamb for the Passover, by the time they got to the end of the week, they would sacrifice the lamb and celebrate the Passover. And then three days later, celebrate the Feast of fruits. And all of that together would be referred to as the Passover holiday. And so Jesus, in that moment when they called him king, was actually being selected as their Passover lamb. Now that's a big deal. Because I just said that we fast forwarded about 900 years to get from 2 Kings to Jesus. But there have been thousands of years since Passover was first instituted. You see, Passover goes all the way back to the time when God's people were slaves in Egypt. And if you can remember, through as the plagues went... The final plague was going to be the death of the firstborn child. But God told his people, select a lamb, paint its blood over your door, and when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over. And as God led them out of Egypt, he asked them to celebrate the Passover every single year from then on. A reminder of how he set them free but also pointing toward the Messiah. So, if we have hundreds of years of history recorded in 2 Kings, you would expect you would probably see a Passover celebrated here somewhere. So I, I know we're only into about chapter 10 and we've had a couple of bad kings and you know, these kinds of things happen, but let, let's just flip through here and see if we can't find one. Well, Athalia, we've heard a little bit about her, so probably not chapter 11,
1: 12,
0: 13, 14. Just give me a second. Let me know if you find one. 21, 22. Hey, 23. Chapter 23 of 2 Kings. We've got one. Okay, so check this out in 2 Kings 23, verse 21. The king now is Josiah. This is one of the good ones. And it says, the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. But now get this such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord. In Jerusalem. A Passover like this has never been held since the days of the judges? Like take that in for a second. That means not David. Not Solomon. right? Not Jehoshaphat. Not Hezekiah. Not Joash. Not any of the other good kings ever celebrated Passover like this. And scholars debate a little bit of exactly what that might mean. Does it mean that they never did it? Does it mean they did it just kind of quietly and kept it to themselves? Because when God instructed Moses, this was nationwide. This was for all of the people to remember their history together and what God had done for them. And we get almost, I mean, this is like, there's one more page of 2 Kings after this. We get to the, almost the end of the time of the kings. And it says, nobody in the entire time of the kings had done Passover like this, the way it was written in the book of the covenant. That's crazy to me. And so we want to look at this passage. And believe it or not, we're going to see three key elements of the way that Josiah celebrated the Passover that apply to you and me this week. So look at those same verses again. It says the king commanded all the people saying, keep the Passover to the Lord your God. Right. So that's the first part of it. They're actually keeping it To God. Now on the surface, maybe that sounds like, well, naturally, right? I mean, God gave it to them. But here's what you have to realize. Passover and the celebration of Passover is like a worship service. As they would sit down for that dinner and go through the elements and and all the different cups that represent different things, they would also sing prophecies going all the way back to Moses that God had made about the Messiah who would come. And so as an act of worship, it's not just dinner. (laughs) It's not just a meal. Not just a time for family to get together. Although it is all of those things. But it's actually an act of worship to God. And in the very next line, not only is it to God, but it also says that he wanted them to keep it as it is written. Now, again, it becomes sort of strangely important because if God gave it to them, Well, then, of course, how else would they know how to do it except how God told them, right? How Moses wrote it down. Except one of the things that we'll see when we come back to this chapter in a few weeks is that they had essentially lost the Bible. Like, it's impossible to imagine today, right? Like, I have one, you have one, you pull out your phone, and instantly you have, like, a thousand. in any language that you want, how do you lose the Bible And yet when Josiah became king, he turned his heart toward God, he started cleaning up the country, removing idols, like it says he was seeking the Lord, and then one day his friend finds the Bible buried in a wall, pulls it out, and when Josiah reads it, he realizes, oh my goodness, this is the word of God. We have to do this. Hey, do you know there's this thing called the Passover? So when he calls everyone to this Passover celebration, he says, hey, we're not making up our own religion here. We're not going to find our own way to God. God has given us a way. And part of it is Passover. I want us to do it as it is written. So not only does he do it to the Lord, he does it as it is written. And then you see in the next verse that he's really doing this with all his heart. Because it says in verse 24, "Moreover, moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spirits, "...the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord." So I love the simplicity of this, that when he says, we're going to worship the true God, obedience naturally follows. Removing all the things that have distracted them from God or have become idols in his place naturally follows. Because he's really in this with all his heart. If you turn to Second Chronicles thirty-five, it gives way more detail about how they did this feast. We don't have time for the whole thing right now, but I wanted to show you just one hint of how this shows up for Josiah, because it says in verse seven that Josiah gave the lay people lambs, young goats from the flock, all for Passover offerings for all who were present to the number of thirty thousand, as well as three thousand cattle. And get this, these were from the king's possessions. So in that moment, he kind of realizes, like, nobody was planning for Passover. (laughs) Nobody was preparing. Nobody had anything set aside. The king says, I will give it to you. So if you're fast forwarding to Jesus, just think about what it means that the king himself says, I will provide the lamb. And so Josiah keeps the Passover to God as it is written, with all his heart. So how do we apply that? Because we don't really celebrate Passover. I mean, we enjoy thinking about it. I think it's important history to understand. Um, Chad has done some really cool services right on this stage explaining each piece of the Passover dinner, what they would call a Seder meal. Seder is just Jewish for order. Like there's a, a certain order that the things happen in. And yet we don't have a command that says to Christ followers that you should keep doing the Passover. So how do we apply these things? Well, it kind of goes back to that idea that Jesus was being selected as their Passover lamb. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 actually makes this pretty straightforward when he says that indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So this week... Today is Palm Sunday, but Friday, we call Good Friday. Friday, we remember the Last Supper. When Jesus sat down with his closest friends at what would have been a Passover meal. Jesus sat down with his closest friends, having been called throughout his ministry, the Lamb of God. In fact, Neil just pointed out to our team this morning that when you go through the book of Revelation, like you you ask me, what is Jesus called in Revelation? King of kings and Lord of lords. But if you count up how many times he's called his different names, Lamb of God is far and away the most. He is our Passover. And so what he was doing at what we now call the Lord's Supper or Communion was he was showing that the fulfillment of all of that Passover memory was in him. And, and now it will be carried forward in what we think of as the Lord's Supper. And so that's how we want to apply these things that we're learning from Josiah. We want to keep the Lord's Supper to God. Have you ever thought about it that way? Like I, I don't know about you, but it's a little bit unusual to think that Communion is not for me, because I love it. When we sit down for communion once a month, and I get to remember and reflect and ask God to check my heart and know that he gives me forgiveness, that is so good for me. And it is, but it's also to God, that he's active in that moment with you. And as a picture of worship, I, I just love that, because I was talking to, again, I talk, I talk to Neil a lot, I guess, but... Uh, I was talking to Neil a couple weeks ago because uh, we had been to this concert with uh, Phil Wickham and Matt Maher and Leland. So if you don't know those names, you know their music because we sing a lot of it here at Horizon. And they are some of the biggest names in like Christian worship music today. And it just so happened the concert fell on my wife's birthday. I thought, what a cool birthday present. So we took the entire family and we went to what they had dubbed the sing-along tour. Nice. So they're putting words on the screen and it's worship music. It was just like what we do here on Sunday mornings. And, and for about two and a half hours, it was, it was incredible because there wasn't any of the, hey, don't forget to check out my new album. And hey, don't forget to check out the sweatshirts down at the merch counter. It was all worship songs to God. And then little moments in between of scripture about who God is. And just just enjoying that, you know, like that it wasn't really about the people on the stage. It wasn't really about the people in the crowd. It was really the people on the stage and the people in the crowd singing it all to God. But there was still kind of this strange moment right at the end of the concert. Because as we're all singing and we're loving these songs, you know, we sang the Lord's Prayer that we just sang here this morning and, and all of this stuff. And you can tell like it, it's got to be getting close to the end. And I forget who, but one of the people on the stage just basically said you guys keep singing and they launched into like great is thy faithfulness and then bailed like they cleared the stage everybody was gone and the concert was still going because the crowd was still singing and for just a split second in my mind I'm like but the band left and the next second was like but we don't need them to worship the Lord and the whole crowd just finished out singing that song. And it was probably the first time in my life that I've been to a concert where like, I, I don't go to a lot of concerts, but when I do, I take pride in being that guy at the end of the show that starts everybody out, one more song, one more song, one more song. <laughs> and uh, I am confident that at least once I have been the reason that the band came out for an encore. <laughs> and, and just as like all my muscle memory is saying, You know what I think, not today. Because it wasn't about them. It was about God. Right, and that's how the Lord's Supper is meant to be for us. That it is a moment that whatever else is going on around us, because we do that together, right? Like you're not alone in that moment. There are people sitting around you and there are distractions of life you came in with. But in that moment, it is your heart to God's. Just a beautiful moment of worship. And so we want to celebrate the Lord's Supper To God, but we also want to keep the Lord's Supper as it is written. So just like Passover, this is one of the things we actually have instructions for. And so if you jump a little bit further into 1 Corinthians, I'm looking now at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to read you verses 23 to 25 because this is Paul telling his Gentile friends in Corinth, right, not Jewish, no Passover background, and yet he's told them Christ is their Passover, that now he's describing a moment that he was not there for, and yet that he has received. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. So even though Paul wasn't there that night for the last supper, his language is almost exactly like what the gospel writers wrote down. He says there's something critical here for us to understand. So that every time we celebrate it, we celebrate it the way it's written. That we remind ourselves of these words. That we do this bread and this cup for this reason and this reason. And I think this is such a fascinating picture because in reality, there is not much that Jesus commands us to do that we would think of as like like a sacrament, if you use that big religious word. Like it's essentially the Lord's Supper... And baptism which are not things that save you but they are acts of obedience that Christ has called us to and so if you're a Christ follower who hasn't been baptized since becoming a Christ follower that's something to pray about but that's also why we do the Lord's Supper on such a regular basis because like Jesus asked us to (laughs) and if I'm really following him then I think I'm supposed to do things that he asks me to and so every time we take the bread Now this kind of bread is specifically called matzah. This is what the Jewish people would use in their Passover celebration. This is what Jesus would have had at the Last Supper. And he tells us that it represents his body broken. And one of the things that I love about this symbol that I actually learned, uh, I picked up from Chad. And in fact, if you watch our our online Good Friday service, he's going to talk about this. But even the way that this bread is made makes it look like it's been bruised. And when Jesus sat with his closest followers at that last supper, he said, this is my body broken. That it represents the literal physical body that was going to be broken on the cross. Because of his love for us. Because if you think about all of the ways that God can bring himself glory... And we saw a, a huge example of this last week. God can just bring justice against sin, and he is glorified for that. He doesn't have to forgive anybody, and yet he wants to. That's like his favorite thing, is to show mercy and bring himself glory through his forgiveness. And so he allowed his body to be broken for you. He also describes the cup. And this is one that John Kirby kindly lent me. That he actually picked up in Jerusalem. And one of the things that you'll notice, it's actually labeled the Elijah cup. Which as a Jewish family would celebrate the Passover dinner. They wouldn't take this cup because they were saving it. And as as you look into the prophecies, as you look into the symbolism, it was a cup that was meant to be saved. For when Messiah comes. And so when Jesus takes the last supper with his closest friends. He says you take this cup. That when they drank that wine. It was a symbol of his blood. Of the new covenant. Through his sacrifice. That no longer under the old covenant of the law. Which honestly Second Kings proves time and time again. That nobody is going to manage to live up to the law. Even the best kings have some failure. And so Jesus says, there's a new covenant in my blood. That the law is fulfilled in him and that this cup is our reminder. And so when Paul writes, do this in remembrance of me. That word remembrance in the Greek, it is like mental memory. But it's almost more like if you ever hear the phrase like muscle memory, Right, like if you took piano lessons as a kid, like there's probably that one song you can still play for some reason even though you haven't played for years. It's just like it's in your body somewhere. You know, things that you do on a daily basis that your body just learns to do because of the way that your brain is connected to your nervous system. Well, that's what that word is capturing in the Greek. In remembrance of me. So it's not just when we know it, but it's when we act it out by taking our little version of the bread and our cup and actually acting out that i remember the love and the sacrifice that christ made for me that's why he asks us to do it on a regular basis and at horizon if you received yours coming in maybe you've been thinking i think they forgot to do the lord's supper because <laughs> this is one of those days we typically do it the first sunday of each month as a way to make sure that we remember. And in a few minutes, we'll have a chance to do that. But I want us to get a little more instruction from 1 Corinthians first. Because just like Josiah with the Passover, we also want to keep the Lord's Supper with all your heart. With all your heart. I don't know about you, but I remember as a kid, because my parents took me to church... Coming in for the Lord's Supper, not realizing it was today, and not paying attention during the message, and, you know, drawing pictures and whatever else, and then, oh, here, like they would, they would pass the thing, and then you're trying to figure, like, how do, I, how do I take the cup and pass the thing and hold the other thing and then do this without spilling, and then, whew, like I'm totally distracted, at least as a child, just by trying not to drop this thing on the floor. <laughs> My heart was not engaged at all. And yet Paul actually warns them about this kind of thing in 1 Corinthians, He says in verse 27 of that same chapter that whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now this is one of those verses that that when you read that it should give you the willies. Like what does that mean? I don't want to be guilty of the body of the Lord, right? And so it's helpful to know in this context, Paul had just finished reprimanding them. Because every time the church in Corinth got together, they would share a big meal and then they would share the Lord's Supper. And what he has discovered is that some people are getting there early. Like if everyone says show up at 5 o'clock, some people are getting there at 4.30 and eating all the food. So that by the time other people show up, these people are going hungry and these people are drunk. And so there's just like this complete self-centered focus happening at the church's gathering. And then now you've got starving people and drunk people saying, Where's the Lord's Supper? Give me the crackers, please. Paul's like, that is not how we do this. Your heart is in completely the wrong place. And so let me just be clear. He actually tells them that some of them are experiencing physical ailment and worse because of this. Now, that is not to say that all physical ailment is because something in your heart is out of line. The Bible actually teaches specifically against that. Instead, this was a unique moment that God was using to point out how critical it is to understand how and why we take the Lord's Supper. And so you notice Paul's instructions here are, hey, we don't want to do this in an unworthy manner. Now, it's really important to realize he talks about an unworthy manner, not unworthy people. Because the truth is, everyone who takes the Lord's Supper is a sinner. Hypothetically, that alone makes us unworthy to even be in the presence of the Lord, let alone have this meal where we remember the forgiveness that brings us into his presence. Instead, what he means is that there are very clearly written ways we do this. We take the bread, we take the cup, but in remembrance of him. And so for a community that was walking into the Lord's Supper only thinking about themselves, he's saying, that's an unworthy manner. Our focus needs to be on Christ in this moment. And I love this too, that instead of saying, whoever drinks it, takes it in an unworthy manner, get out, he gives a solution. He says, so in that moment, before you take it, examine yourself. And again, not examine yourself, and if you realize you've been kind of a punk, leave right the idea behind examine yourself is it resets my heart to christ so then let him take the bread and drink the cup because again as a kid i feel like i was wearing a guilt trip even as an adult every time walking into the lord's supper and thinking like what if i'm unworthy what if i'm unworthy what if i'm unworthy oh i know what i did this week i gotta ask him to forgive me real quick before i take this thing Right, and, the, and there's like something good about that, but there's something also that I was missing in that. Because the idea is, in that moment, ask the Lord to search your heart. Right? Just by doing that, you've already put your focus back on Him. And if there's something in my life that is out of line with Him, then I'm asking Him for forgiveness. Right? Repenting and asking Him to help me make that change moving forward. But then you also realize that the person who is humble enough to realize they need forgiveness is exactly the person who is ready to take the Lord's Supper, a reminder of the body broken and the blood shed, so that we could have forgiveness. And so Paul encourages them, examine your heart. A friend of mine named Michelle, she is a Messianic Jew. So she grew up in a Jewish household, you know, Doing all of the ceremonies and all of the feasts and, and all of the things. And she said that as an adult, there was a day where she was teaching um, like essentially their children's ministry. And they were talking about the Last Supper. And she said, well, you know, the Last Supper is what communion is all about. Who, who knows what communion is? And one of the kids goes, oh, that's when we get those little snacks at church. <laughs> I thought... Now, that, that wouldn't fly here, right? Because the snacks at church are, are coffee and bagels. <laughs> but, you know, you could imagine she, her, her face when she's like, um, you, you're not wrong, but it's not really a snack. I mean, let's not go overboard on 1, Kings 11, or 1 Corinthians 11, but like if you're only coming for coffee and bagels or the little snacks, you know, we might, we might be missing something here. But it reminded her of when she was a kid celebrating the Passover. Before she had become a Christ follower, it was such a critical piece of their year and she said that, that um, she's discovered that when it comes to that Seder dinner, you actually have a lot of flexibility as a family how you do that. And there are over like a thousand different ways that you can do it. And theirs came off of the Maxwell Coffee House can. Apparently for over a hundred years, Maxwell Coffee has published instructions for a Passover meal. And so like her main memory of Passover as a child is, somebody find the coffee, you know, it's time for Passover. But as she became a Christ follower, it felt like the depth of that celebration was so much greater. That no longer was it just a thing like because it's that time of year or because we bought that special can of coffee, I guess now we do the thing and we go through the motions and we ask the questions and something about Moses and can I go play now, dad? But that when she met Christ, she realized, oh my goodness, the blood of the lamb. When I see the blood, I will pass over. Oh, my goodness. They were slaves and he gave them freedom. And yet they were still slaves to the law that they could never live up to. But now in Jesus Christ, we are no longer slaves. If you're a follower of Christ, you have been set free from sin and death. Yes, we still struggle with sin. But it is no longer our master. You can actually overcome sin because of Christ. Yes, our physical bodies still go through death. But death is not the end. Because Jesus Christ is the king and the hero that we actually need. The king who died, but is not dead. And so Michelle learned that different than just the ritual she'd been going through, this was a chance to celebrate her king, her hero, her Messiah, with all of her heart. And I want it to be that for me, too. I want it to be that for you too because I I think this is one of the most unifying things that we do as the body of Christ when we celebrate that together in remembrance of him. For whatever else may be going on in life, whatever else may be going on from day to day, whatever has felt like a pick-me-up this week and whatever has just dragged you all the way down. I've got them too. And there's not enough time in this service this morning to tell you about all of it. But we all feel it. And this becomes such a special moment to slow down and focus on him with all of our hearts. In fact, if you jump all the way back through the centuries now to 2 Kings 23 again, there's a verse there that describes just what this felt like for Josiah. It says that before him there was no king like him. Get that, like not David, not Solomon, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul... And with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Does that phrase sound familiar? With all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. That is literally straight from Deuteronomy. That is exactly what Moses said. This is how you follow the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, everything in you. So you've got Moses on that end. And then you get Jesus who when he is asked, hey, what's the most important thing in the law? You know what he says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Everything that is in you. You see, Josiah isn't the Messiah. Josiah wasn't even Moses. But he was a man and a leader who wanted to follow God With all his heart. Exactly how God had described it. And so we are going to celebrate. The Lord's Supper together this morning. And my encouragement for you as we do that. Would be to examine yourself. And turn to the Lord. With all your heart. Soul. And might. And you know if you're sitting here this morning. Or if you're watching this today. And you're thinking I'm not even sure if I am a Christ follower. Hey. Here's the first thing. Because when you get to heaven, God isn't going to ask you how many times you did the Lord's Supper. <laughs> right? What matters is if Christ is your Savior, your forgiver, and King. And so I'm going to ask the band to come out. And they're going to play some music for us. So that you just have a couple moments to examine your heart with God. To set your mind on Christ. To ask forgiveness where you might need it. To forgive where you might need to. To thank him and remember him. And so I'd like to pray with you. And as I do that, I'd like to lead you in a prayer that I think works for all of us. So you feel free to pray this. But if you've never trusted Christ as your forgiver and your king before, then maybe you just want to use these words to prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper today jesus thank you for sacrificing your body and your blood so that i can be forgiven i trust you as my savior i want you to be king of my life and so i set my heart toward you now even as i examine it with you it's in jesus name we pray
1: amen On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you let's drink from the cup let's pray together father thank you for allowing us this moment a moment of communion a moment of reflection and god thank you for that new covenant that we have only through the blood of the perfect Passover lamb, the lamb of God given for us, the one who washes away our sins and makes us white as snow, makes us holy. God, thank you for allowing us a way that we can spend eternity with you. And Father, would you help us to to take this joy, take this gratitude that we're feeling in this moment and to share this all throughout our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, Jesus. King of kings, I, I just love that. I feel like there's no sweeter phrase in the English language than King Jesus. The king who wore a crown of thorns for you. And so as you go through this week, we actually wanted to do a few things to help you really spend this week in remembrance of him. And so as you are walking out today, uh, you're going to be given a palm frond, like the palm branches that would have been laid in front of Jesus. And so as you take that, I want that to be for you a symbol of the victory that Christ has won for you. Wherever you want to put it this week, on the dashboard or, or by your bed, something that reminds you of his victory. We've also, in the pathway for this week, which is always in your program, it's also online, there are daily readings beginning today with Palm Sunday, That just walk you through those last moments before Jesus' death. What he was saying to his disciples and saying to us that you might enjoy reading on your own or or with a friend or maybe even with your family. And then this Friday, we actually have another opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We have an online-only Good Friday service. A time of worship, a time of reflection, and of prayer in remembrance of him. And so if you're here in the building today, you can actually grab communion elements as you go or if you want to pick those up during the week that you could use with that Good Friday service. And then I bet you already know this one, but we're going to be back here Saturday and Sunday to celebrate his resurrection with our Easter services. So I thank you for being here today, and I can't wait to see you next week. Thanks for coming.